Hello, everybody out there in the podcast world. Chad Belding here coming at you with another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. Thank you all so much for the support. I'm proud to say that I got a good buddy back in camp. We're coming at you from the Wichita, Kansas area. I'm up here with Mitch Yoder and Zach and Tyler and Mr. Matt Bohannon, at Matt Bohannon on Instagram with Kansas Hunts. We're excited to be up here, but joining me in camp this week is none other. The man usually needs no introduction. Y'all will recognize this voice as if it was just in your head last night. Brad Arrington, why don't you go ahead and say what's up? What's up? <laughs> There's that voice right there. Also joining Brad Arrington from Mossy Pond Retrievers down in the great state of Georgia. Also has a little bit of a operation up in the great state of New York. But we also have representing Yukonuba brand dog food in their sporting dog division, Mr. Brett Vollmer. He's a – what do you do for Yukonuba exactly? Uh, well, like you said, I kind of uh, deal with the sporting dog segment of the business and just go around and look for the right partners. Uh, to build the brand uh, within the sporting dog group. Uh, I'd also look for different segments that, um, um, you know, we were either with sponsorships or that can kind of push us in the right direction or at least with dogs that actually do something for a living, uh, whether it be hunting or if it's uh, in a working dog segment or, or what have you. So just trying to go around and build that brand up as much as possible. So. And when you hear of an opportunity that might be out there with somebody as such as Brad Arrington, what do you, what, what have, at the time, what did you hear, hear about Brad, his operation, the success, was it the success he was having at the hunt test um, or, or the, the field test or the field trials? What, what do you look for as far as a trainer goes? Uh, the number one thing is probably the accent when they talk. Um, <laughs> other than... <laughs> wow. I like that. Bust me right out of the gate. Right out the gate. That means he might like you. <laughs> no, I tell you what, man. Brad has uh, their facility, the their crew, the way they operate. The uh, Yeah, man. This, the way they go about their business is class A number one. Uh, and that's, you know, that's what definitely what we look for in our partners. Uh, is is the, the way that they take care of themselves and the way they take care of their people. So, and Brad's pretty much got all that under under wraps. I think so. Not I think so, mention, man. Not to mention the success they're having the field. And Brad, on the other side of that table, is um, it's kind of cool that we've had a working history together with the dogs and the show and the you know co-branding and marketing together with you and Bandit. And I mean, it's ventured out into a lot of different doors opening. And here we are again in 2018 with. A, uh, you know, six months ago, we had an opportunity or a potential or a chance to even sit down with Yukonuba. And now it's come full circle into fruition. And both of us are now part of the Yukonuba brand. What were your initial thoughts on that being, you know, as regarded as highly regarded as Mossy Pond and yourself and Lee and your group of trainers are? Was it an easy decision when you knew that Yukonuba was interested in you? Yes, it was definitely an easy decision. You know, um, we've um, been is spread out as we are mossy pond having all the different range of dogs we've we've fed everything in the book from a to z and you know the the thing that me and lee howard um, my manager and my wife ellen we sat down and said you know we've always wanted to be and we strive to be the best at what we do um, in each category and to be the best i think um, yukonuba partnering up with them is is going to take us to the top and excited about excited about the future. What when you when you start talking about the name Yukonuba, do you know what it means? And do you know what it means? And can you give me an idea of what the word means? Because I have an idea of what it means, but I'd like to know what you think it means because I'm confused when somebody else has told me what it means. So do you know what it means? Yeah. So <laughs> I had to dig a little deep here, but yeah, I think I got it. Um, it's slang in the jazz um, arena for Supreme, uh, top of the line. And so when someone says, hey, that's Yukonuba, that means that it's Supreme. It's the best. Uh, and again, that's slang from the, in the jazz world. So, so you're telling me back in like, I mean, I'm going to guess like maybe Chicago, New Orleans, somewhere we had some jazz and blues influence on it. There's guys actually walking down the street or into clubs going, man, that's Yukonuba. Yep. Really? Well, I don't know anymore, but that's where it came that's from. How that's how Yes, absolutely. Yep. I think you need to yes. start playing the trumpet, right. Eric. That's awesome. Yeah. It is yeah. kind of cool. I mean, that's a yeah. supreme level. Yep. And Jazz, I've heard that, and I'm I'm getting educated on it, and it's it's just a cool way to come up with a name. And I think that that 
the stance that Yukonuba has in the sporting dog division, Brett, is is the supreme. It is um, something that you guys are striving to 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 set the standard again. And when I say again, it seemed for a while there. And correct me if I'm wrong, but was there a time in the in, you know like Yukonuba was into it, for, mm-hmm. you know, big time, and then it seems like they kind of dwindled out of the sporting dog arena. What was going on there? Um, well, basically, so we when we. When Yukonuba was essentially brought on, when the, the formula was, was put together, it was based on performance. Dogs that they go out and they get after it and they get it done. So when Yukonuba came out to the market, it was tailored towards dogs that, that do something for a living. And it's a sporting dog and a working dog. Um, and then it was, you know, I'm sold at the Procter & Gamble. Procter & Gamble had it for a while, decided they wanted to kind of get out of that segment. Um, and at that time, Mars went ahead and purchased the brand and now has made the decision to focus on Sporting Dog and to bring it to life where it was before, build the brand back to where it was number one uh, in this particular category. But, uh, you know, where it went before or where it kind of got left behind, um, it was just a matter of focus and, you know, just like many companies do, they, they change their direction um, for no other reason than looking for the, another segment in the dog, in the dog world. So, uh, but now that Mars has it and that Yukonuba has, you know, dedicated to sporting dog, we are devoted 110% of being number one in the sporting dog arena. Uh, starting with, you know, taking on top guys like Brad and like yourself and, and, and with the form of the of the nutrition, the basis that we're that we're basically born on, uh, that is superior over everyone else, in my opinion. So, I think I think that what you said there, as far as the branding and getting the message out there, when you start talking about ambassadors, ambassadors and credibility in the marketplace, mm-hmm. and, and getting the word out there about your brand. To to dogs are a very personal part of right. not just a hunter's life, but right. a, almost every human being's life. Mm-hmm. So when you step up to the plate and you say that we're going to message this consistently, message this as being the supreme, it's it's something that can't be taken lightly because you guys are really putting you know you're flying that flag and putting you trust in your brand and your company of you're saying hey feed this to your dog and it's going to ensure that his life or her life is mm-hmm. better and to me that's a big deal and to take on an ambassador such as you taking on Brad Arrington and Mossy Pawn you're saying hey you got a lot of know-how in this you got a lot of stay you know say and leverage in this area Brad's going out and telling all of his customers, all of his trainers, all of the people that he runs with and trains with and films with and 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 does his daily deal with with Mossy Pond and his brand. It's a it's a big responsibility. So it's got to be something that a lot of thought was put into. And you don't just wake up there one day and go, hey, we're going to say we're the best dog food in the world. We're going to uh, pay Brad Arrington to do it. It's a lot more personal that. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And the thing that the, the bond between the dog and the owner and the trainer um, is really kind of what we feed on, because there's something there that, um, you know, it's really tough to put into words. And that's what we look for. We look for, you know, our, our goal is the dog first mentality of, look, we want to take care of the dog. And if the dog is doing well, then the operation is doing well also. So, you know, if, if Brad's feeding Yukonuba and his dogs are not in good shape, they're not doing well, that's going to affect his operation. But Brad has won. He's, he's been around the country and traveled, him and his staff, and, and, and have put it to the test. And, you know, it's a credibility thing. So when Brad goes and talks to other pros, and maybe they're up-and-comers uh, that maybe only have 10 or 12 dogs or what have you, and he's like, look, these are the effects I'm seeing. This is the, the, the shape that the dogs are in. And, you know, they're going to look at that and see that he's done there, been that, done, you know, done the whole bit, and he's a credible source. I can go out and I can say those type of things, but it's only going to take you so far. When you have the right folks that have been there, done that, and can speak to it, that means everything. So, And Brad, when you talk about, when you hear somebody say that you're a credible source, obviously you've spent a lot of years honing your skills as a dog trainer. You don't take that part lightly either. If you're going to take the responsibility of us bringing a dog to you, us writing a check made out to Mossy Pond Retrievers and then you giving us that dog back four months later or whatever the protocol is, that's a big responsibility. And when you have that responsibility riding on your shoulders, 
you're also not just going to take on a food and say something to somebody like, hey, you need to be feeding this to your dog because it's the best just because you can is paying you. You don't have that kind of mentality. You're not wired that way. Your parents didn't bring you up to, to be the guy that's just going to say something based on how much money you're getting to say it. So talk to me a little bit about endorsements in your area because you're not just telling somebody, hey, you know, this is the best bubble gum ever made. It's got the best flavor. It's going to last the longest. You're putting your name and your, and your brand's name on a food that people are going to entrust in you in and then go feed it. So obviously it wasn't an easy decision for you to make or a quick decision. You put a lot of thought into this, yeah? Uh, a lot of thought. It, it, it was pretty easy. Um, being that, you know, the way that we keep business and drive business is people watching our dogs, whether it's in the duck blind or at these competitions, UKC, AKC hunt test, AKC field trials, whatever it may be. And I was noticing before we made the change, the dogs that we did have on Yukonuba, I mean, they, they stood out, whether, I mean, their coat, their teeth, their um, energy level where they could go um, day in and day out with all the weather elements six days a week, four um, lessons a day, you know, these dogs could hold up and make us look good. And in, in this business, you know, that's what it's about. When a customer or uh, a customer um, coming on, when they look at those dogs, they have to look good. I mean, everything about them, that coat has to be shiny. There can't, there can't be the hot spots. There can't be, you know, their teeth can't be built up with tartar. And then on top of that, they have to have the energy to go out there and perform like a rock star, like, like an athlete. And, um, you know, the dogs that we've had on Yukonuba before, before we made the switch, we always saw that. And the, the other trainers that were on it, we were always seeing that. And now that we're on board, our whole crew's like that. So, um, it was, it was easy, but yes, did we do our homework? Did we do our due diligence? 110%. But after seeing the, the quick results, it, it was an easy decision to jump on with Yukonuba. When you talk about Mossy Pond and the structure of Mossy Pond, you, you, I've heard you say in the last couple days, you have nine trainers working full-time for you now? That's correct, yes, sir. So you have, you have a customer that says, I want to bring my dog to Brad Arrington. That's not the case anymore to where it's going to be trained just by Brad Arrington. Tell me your thoughts, but I want to get a little bit of your opinion on this too, Brett, because you were, you, you're walking in this area and this arena all the time is, how do I know? that your leadership or your mentality or the way that you have strived to build the Mossy Palm brand is going to be carried down to these nine guys that are working for you. Can you ensure that that dog that comes out of there is going to be trained with the same ideologies that you built the Mossy Palm brand with? And if you, if that's confusing, I understand, but you know, you're like, I'm going to Brad Arrington. I'm going to Brad Arrington. Brad Arrington's name is on it. His face is on it. He's on all these shows. And then that dog gets there and does he get touched by Brad every day? Or is your, are your trainers, are they, are they trained by you to, to, in the protocols, the exact same as you would train that dog yourself? You know, it's a, it's a business and we're a team out there. And, um, yes, we have luckily, and we've been blessed that four out of the nine trainers have went through an apprenticeship. We have an apprenticeship out there from a year to a two year deal that, um, they're not compensated. They just come on to learn the Mossy Pond way. 30 or 40 have went through it. We've only probably had about eight or 10 graduate and four of them are employees of Mossy Pond. The others are my manager, Lee Howard, that um, has been with me since day one. And um, one, one other, uh, Mac Boatwright, he, has, he, he actually retired from White Oak Plantation with a, a big following and a lot of knowledge in the bird dog um, industry. So we... We, I guarantee your question. I guarantee that every dog that comes through there is given the the Mossy Pond um, brand and that experience, and the owners when they're in and out visiting, um, when they come down to pick up the dog, and we do the transfer, and they stay in one of our lodges, whether it's in South Georgia or New York. I make sure, and I'm I'm a part of 95% of the handoffs. I always want to be there for the handoffs, to have that personal touch with the owners, to look in their eyes and make sure 110% that they're happy with this with this product that we've provided for them. Yes, I, I know every single dog in the kennel at all times. Am I out there and do I touch everyone every day? No, there, there's no possible way. But the way Mossy Pond is built and the way that we train, it's all the same. We're all on the same page. What 
what our goal and our plan has always been is to form a dog training operation that fits everybody's needs. If you come in there and you want an obedience dog just to be good in and around the house, or if, if you sh go to one dove shoot a year, or if you want to have a AKC field champion to, to run field trials, we have a category or a program for every single dog out there. And of course we, um, we primarily do the, the, the performance dogs, you know, and the um, upland and retrievers and pointers, but um, we have a program for everybody out there. And that, that's what we strive and what, what our goals are. And we make, we make sure when, when that owner comes in and looks at that dog that they're totally satisfied. If they're not, you know, we keep the dog and make them happy. You know, when the, they bring those dogs in, we have a meeting. We sit down with the owners and ask them, what are you primarily going to do? What, you know, what, what's, what's important to you? What's um, a little le less important right on down the line? And we, we form their program just for them. Every dog out there is pretty much specialized unless you're into the field trial world. But we, we do a lot of AKC Hunt Test Master Dogs that they, they – they do a lot of inside stuff. They're, they're always home for the holidays. They take the dogs home on the weekends. And we specialize that for the obedience inside, the, the hunting, what type of hunting they do. What kind of duck blind do you hunt out of? Do you hunt out of a pit blind? And we cover all that in our basic gun dog programs. But when a guy tells me that he, he hunts out of a boat and he needs to know when he tells his dog place, he wants him up there on the bow of the boat. And then when he makes the retrieve, he wants him to climb in the ladder on the back of the boat, deliver the bird to hand, and then climb back to the front of the boat when he says place. You know, we, we try to um, specialize that, and I think, I think that's what sets us apart. We have so many hands on deck and so many um, trainers. We have 24 employees, so we have two or three bird boys to every um, trainer out there, and we want to have a personal touch and specialize your dog training program, especially for you and your dog. And um, that, that's what we strive to do. I think, I think that you guys are nailing it on that. And you, there's two terms that are thrown around when it comes to dog training, Brad. And you, I want you to tell me the difference. And, and Brad can touch on it too, is you have a professional kennel and professional dog trainer, and then you have amateurs. Amateurs compete with pros, correct? <laughs> In some events. In some yeah. events. What does amateur mean? Does that mean that you're not paid to train dogs? Or what, what, is, the, what is the difference in, in, in a pro dog trainer and an amateur dog trainer? That would be the definition, correct, um, that, of getting paid. And, you know, even when I was coming up, you know, it, it was tough. You know, I look back some of my younger years, um, maybe I shouldn't have been called a professional when I was first started because, I mean, I was 19 years old and I was getting paid. Um, to train dogs and, and there's a lot of young dog trainers out there and to 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 do it right and to get it right it takes a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience and to hit hit on that you know if I gave anybody advice that wanted to get into the dog training world no way form or fashion would I try it without training with another pro trainer that's you know that's good and that's good in hunt test or um, that is proven or, you know, um, take, take like what we have in the apprenticeship program. Because getting into it the way we did, there were a lot of hard knocks, a lot of things that we had to overcome and get through. And um, luckily we were blessed enough and, and worked our way through it. And we've had mentors along the way to help us. But it, it is a hard world to get into to do it right. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of guys out there that, and it's just lack of knowledge. It, it's hard to get into. It's a, it's a tough, tough industry. Do you, do you, um, I was talking to Mitch yesterday, the owner of this place we're at here, and he was telling me I need a new, my dog's got to be 10 and he's probably, you know, not, doesn't have a lot of duck seasons left and a lot of retrieves left. And I said, well, were you looking at getting a new dog? And when I asked that, I'm thinking, you know, like a new breed, a new, I mean, not a new breed, but a new breeding or a new litter. And he goes, I want a starter dog. And is that be, is that a popular way to go, Brett, as far as um, a guy requesting a starter dog? And, and what is a starter dog? Is that something that might have it might be got a couple years under his belt? And is do you see a lot of trainers offering that to where you can go and find a starter dog from a kennel? Does have you heard of that? Yeah, I've seen more and more uh, trainers that are beginning to to do that. I, you know, I think it's it's out there. Um, 
you know, and, and I'll refer to Brad in regards to a starter, what, what a good starter dog or what someone looking for a starter dog might want to look for. Um, you know, because like I said, there's more and more of them out there, I believe. Um, and I think it's a good way to go to a certain degree, especially if someone uh, doesn't necessarily want to go through all the early puppy stages. Um, if they want to kind of get going and maybe, you know, the season's coming up um, and if they want to kind of get going. So, I mean, Brad, what are your thoughts on the best parts of a starter dog, I guess, or? Yeah, you know, there's pros and cons to all of it. And, you know, um, a lot of people want to get that puppy and um, cuddle it and take it home with them, let it be a part of the family and start that bond. But, yes, we, we do a lot of starter dogs out there at our program. Um, fortunately, you know, with our field trial program, we have a lot of washouts. And a field trial washout is an amazing gun dog. I mean, amazing, because he gets that strong, hard foundation that we put on him through the competitive side of it. So we have a lot of started dogs. You know, we don't own them. They're our owners um, selling them, and we sell them for them. But um, started dogs are a good way to go, especially for a guy that doesn't really have time for a puppy, because bringing a puppy up is the most important part of a dog's life, in my opinion. You know, how they're brought up, how they're introduced to all these different things that can um, – totally wash them out you know cold water gunfire live birds all of the different elements and socializing them to life is is tough on them so uh, you skip all that and you you get a dog that you kind of already get to look at and get to kind of drive in a way to see what what you're getting there so we we do a lot of started dogs probably do probably close to 100 a year and um it's a good way to go it's um, you don't get the bonding period, which you know dogs are loving. They're very loving animals. That's why we all love them, because um, you know after that guy takes it in, they create that bond over a couple months. You know they get on the same page and it, they get that strong bond with the started dogs as well. But the started dogs is we do a lot of them. Is there such thing as like a? I hate to use the word rental, but could a guy come to Mossy Pond and say, hey, I. I need a dog for this duck season and take him and use him for the entire duck season and not necessarily own him, bring him back to a kennel like Mossy Pond and you take him back and keep training him. And then that duck hunter might come back the next year and say, Hey, your, your dog was so good. I need another one. And now you give him another dog to use for the season. Does that ever go on? We do some of that, not a bunch. We probably do 15 to 20 a year. And what, what that is, that's our field trial or our hunt test customers that are competitive and they fly in and watch their dogs at these hunt tests or field trials and they don't hunt as much and some of them are great hunters just life gets in the way and they don't have much time to it so what they'll do is um you know um, duck camps and stuff like that that are gonna the guides are actually gonna take that dog home with them and you know we work out a, a relationship like that that they'll they'll take and hunt these hunt these dogs for them and, it, and it's you know it's a started dog uh, definition going back to your question earlier a started dog doesn't mean a seasoned dog and that's two totally different things and just got a definitely a different price tag on it um, a started dog means you've been trained and the dog's been trained in that category but far as seasoned and been through a hunting season and you know we can simulate it the best we can but as far as going out there it's just not exactly the same so to teach that dog how to watch those birds and when you knock that safety off his ears goes up and his nose pushes out an inch or two where he can watch that bird falling and the different cues and the different ways that we hunt you know season a dog goes a long ways and i tell everybody the training is half of having a great dog the other half is seasoning him properly and a seasoned dog so if you had a master hunter with me um, just like axel coming up and but we haven't hunted him much luckily you have we have the luxury that we hunt axel but if you didn't hunt him much and he was just in competition training the first year would still be a little rocky even though he was fully trained and he wouldn't break and all the tools would be there there but to get him perfect in the field and the understanding and learning how to wild bird hunt would take a little while. But then having a, if after a full season, now that dog's a Cadillac at that point. I mean, my, my six-year-old daughter could drive it at that point. She goes out, she knocks the safety off, she could run blinds with it, whatever it takes, after that dog started and then seasoned. So seasoned and started is two totally different things. So what you asked is, is really good to do with a dog. Kind of like a grill. 
What's that? He's seasoning a grill, you know, same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty <laughs> much, yeah, like you do with a Traga, a Traga. So the transition that Yukonube has made back into this area, mm-hmm. this arena, is the recipe different than it was back 10, 12, 15 years ago? Is it the exact same? What is a dog food based on? You guys have a bunch of scientists in a lab that are perfecting this, or what is this? Where is this recipe came about, and why are you? I mean, if it is supreme, is it is it been you know rejuvenated a little bit since you guys had the got out of the business for a while? No, so the, I mean the chassis is all the same. It's uh, the same formula um, that it was before. Uh, nothing's changed on it. Uh, when it originally came out with IMS, um, again, it was the, the formula is based on, you know, we're going to put a formula together with the ingredients and quality ingredients that's going to get the most possible out of a performance type dog. Um, and, and all those years since, uh, the, the, the formula has stayed the same. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, in, in a performance point of view of, of looking at the quality of the protein, the quality of the fat, and that has all just gotten better as time has gone on. Um, you know, the, some folks talk about, you know, performance foods, and it's the, the high amount of protein, or the high amount of fat that, that makes it a performance type food, which generally that is the case. But when you get into, you know, a quality type protein or fat, it's, you know, if you don't have a quality protein, then it's not going to help rejuvenate the muscles after the dog works hard and it's going at it. And like you guys going at it this week where it's going to be cold temperatures and, and, and long retrieves and, and what have you that, you know, when the muscle starts to break down, if you don't have a quality protein involved with that, uh, then a dog is just going to end up either you can have an injury prone dog um, or it's just not going to recover like it needs to. Um, and especially if you don't have a quality fat out there, then they're not going to have the energy that they need to make all of those cold water retrieves or for, to, to go out on long retrieves or even on the field trial or hunt test circuit, you know, going after a long blind out there, going after quads that, you know, all of a sudden series three and four come up and they just don't have it in them anymore because they're, you know, they're just too tired or they've, you know, they're, they're done because they just don't have that energy that they need to do it because nutrition difference, uh, deficiencies. So... Nutrition deficiencies, Brad, when you're, we talked a little bit this morning with this temperature change that we're experiencing right now in this part of the country, in the Midwest, Kansas specifically, it, when you, you talk about that bloating effect of a dog, I, the first mindset of somebody when it's going to be cold as a human being, we're going to say, we need a big breakfast. We need to make sure that we have some energy and we're going to warm ourselves up and we're going to eat a big breakfast. That's not the case with the dog, as we were talking before. If we know that that dog is going to be active for the next three or four hours, like Brett's saying, with a bunch of retrieves, water retrieves, long distance, maybe you know a lot of different marks on a dry field, we were, we, you were casting axle at five, 600 yards today. Do you feed them a big breakfast or do you feed them throughout that hunt? You give them a little bit to nibble on in the palm of your hand throughout the hunt? Or what, what, what should a duck hunter be looking at when the weather changes like this? You know, I like um, um, small portions, but several times a day, I like to um, give them that to, to fuel them right on through the the day and the um, and the like. If I'm on a trial the the whole weekend, you know, a lot of a lot of people see these dogs after they've come off of a weekend. We run 42 weekends a year with our hunt test and our field trial circuit, and we can't afford on Thursday through Sunday for these dogs to fall off. And if you if you watch for that and you you know how it works, if you give these dogs small portions, but several times a day, they don't fall off and they they don't lose that weight. And the same with a hunting trip, you know, um, we we run English pointers on, on our quail operation, and all the time, you know, down there, the the quail dogs they always fall off. But if you give small amounts several times a day, it, it keeps that metabolism going. And it, it keeps them enough fuel to to finish the task, and they they don't burn it off where they don't lose it. You give them just a, a big portion at the end of the day or during the beginning of the day, you know, at first they're sluggish, and then by the time they get it going, then it burns off, and then by the next day, you know, and then you know you have problems that way with stool as well. They don't they don't absorb all the nutrients like they're supposed to either. So small amounts. Um, several times a day. When you say stools, what what are you looking for in that? What's a good stool for a, a, a sporting dog, a high caliber, high energy dog like Axel or Mo? You know, um, you, 
if you feed them too heavily, it's, it can be too rich on them. And it, it, the GI, um, you know, their, their gut, they, they can't digest it all. And it's a, it's a patty. You know, of course, definitely having a, um, a premium performance dog food like Yukonuba, um, it makes that a lot easier. And you can feed heavier helpings like that. But, you know, you, you want a good, firm stool but you, you don't want a brick either. And if, you, if you're getting a brick, that means that you're, that you're probably not feeding enough. So you, you want right there in the middle. You don't want a cow patty, and you don't want anything um, too hard either. But if, if you feed it properly and they're getting the right amount, and, you know, of course, we, we give recommendations on the, on the bag, but then you, you got to use common sense too and watch the dog and what he needs. You know, some dogs burn it off more than others, and, and some don't. You know, I got some six-year-old females in there, you know, that, they, they, I mean, I give them a quarter cup in the morning, maybe a little, throw them a little quarter cup for lunch and a cup in the evening, and they're still fat. But, um, you know, and then, then you got your, your one-year-old male that's bouncing all over the wall, walls, the English pointers. I might have to give him a cup, cup and a half in the morning, a cup for lunch, and a couple cups in the evening. But um, I can tell you with the with the Yukonuba, it, it shocks me with our with our um, quail hunting pack. Those dogs keep weighed on right on through the winter, and um, e even when it's cold. What a lot of people don't understand, even with that English pointer um, sitting out there on that quail buggy, um, he he runs forty miles during a, a quail hunt. But on that quail buggy, he's burning energy. I mean, burning calories just right and left because his whole body's shaking. He's shivering. It's cold out there. And then the lab sitting in that duck blind, I mean, he's cold, he's wet, he comes in there, he's burning all kind of calories. So, you know, it's just like an athlete. If he's going on a triathlon, he, he's going to have to eat a little bit more for that. So you, you just have to watch it and judge it. But um, it, it sure helps with a quality food, too. With you, Canuba, Brad, are you, are you guys going after any certain price point in the retail or are you basing your customer base on that premium level to where you get what you pay for with this is it comparable to other quote-unquote premium foods on the market and when a, a a customer goes into a pet store or a pet food shop that might not have a contact like brad or his camp at mossy pond to give them some recommendations what should they be looking for when they're going to choose the food for their dog um so you're right. You get what you pay for. And, um, you know, we, we look for, we tailor towards folks that have, you know, uh, performance type dogs to where they, they have, um, basically they have some drive to them. You know, if, if maybe they're just, uh, they just hunt a few times out of the year. Uh, and then, you know, outside of that, maybe they're just an inside dog, a family pet and, you know, they go walking or they go running, or maybe they go hiking or mountain biking and, and, and have an active lifestyle. But then when it's hunting season, then they go out and they do that and they retrieve ducks and what have you. Um, so we're, we look for not only that, the, the ultimate consumer, but then the pros as well, like bread, um, that have, you know, strictly performance type dogs. Um, and so if someone's going into a store looking for, um, a food, you know, they would really, it, it's really an, an individual by individual type basis. So, you know, if, if you duck hunt, um, uh, as much as absolutely possible, uh, then you want to look for that high protein kind of higher fat content. You want to look for that performance, uh, food, uh, outside of duck season, you know, in order for your dog not to plump up too much when he's not quite as active, then, you know, you can transfer on to more of a maintenance type diet and have like a large breed, uh, regular base formula. Uh, a lot of times you can take that large breed base formula and mix it with a 30, 20 as you ease into duck season as well. And you can mix it up some to kind of give them that higher fat content that they need for that energy level. Um, so, you know, my suggestion to someone going into a store is look for a premium performance food, um, first off, if you're getting into a high active season, um, if it's just your basic, um, you know, active dog, but it doesn't, you know, go out and, and pick up a couple hundred ducks a season or isn't having necessarily extreme effects on them, then they can go with the large breed maintenance formula. Uh, and that's going to give them the, definitely the nutrition they need for the majority of the year. So couple questions that go through my mind a little bit and maybe a regular dog owner too that might doesn't necessarily have to be a hunt test or a champion or anything like that table scraps um, no. human consumption food mm -hmm. is it an absolute no-no to feed a dog and i don't care if it's a high performance dog or a poodle is it an absolute no-no 
for a dog to eat human food or table scraps? I'm totally against it. You know, I'm, I'm against um, a lot of treats as well, you know, um, unless it's the right treat, but I'm against table scrap for all kind of different reasons. Um, <laughs> you know, just the main part is nutrition, but the other thing is, you know, um, a dog's supposed to be obedient. That's what they're there for. You know, uh, everybody's changed that now dogs are a part of our family and they're, they're basically humans, but dogs started off as, you know, they, they were there to work and eating from the table or eating table scraps is definitely a no, no in my book. No, I agree. It's something that, uh, it's not, it's not beneficial to dog and the dog may act like they really enjoy it and they're loving it and they probably are. But in the long run, it's not the best thing for them, you know. And there, there's folks that are just like, whatever, I'm going to give my dog whatever's left bacon or, or what have you. Um, and then they kind of take the derivative from, you know, well, dogs came from the wild and, you know, they would eat raw meat and some folks have raw diet. Um, but it's as far as the internals of a dog, either performance or non-performance, especially for the non-performance dogs as well, because they're just going to blow it up even more. But the, the table scrap part is just, it's not good for the dog in general. So, and what about chew toys? You got a dog that you leave alone for a little bit. Is it that that's the handler and the owner's problem? If he puts a dog in a position to where there is something there to be chewed and you leave that dog and he chews it up, is that a, is that an obedience thing to where he shouldn't? Is that curiosity is getting him? And instead of giving him the idea of, hey, instead of chewing on the furniture or my daughter's doll, do you give him chew toys, Brad, or give me your idea on that part of it? I know a lot of great trainers that would disagree with me on this, but my opinion on that is, you know, I, I don't allow it. You know, I, I teach my puppies and I teach my owners how to bring their pup up in a, a crate environment. They they have their play time. They have their um, time to go out, and then they have crate time, and it's crate training them, and that that's their that's their house. That's where they go for safety. And if you do it that way and you don't allow the chew toys in there with them um, like some of the other people do and some of the other beliefs, I, if you do it my way and the way that I'm talking, 110% they will not chew. Um, and everybody, a lot of people argue that, but you're actually teaching that dog how to chew and um, to, to make chewing a habit by giving them that chew toy. The, the pups that I bring up that don't, don't get to chew and don't give chew toys, we never have an issue with it. Never at all. Mm. Well, I mean, so I agree. I mean, but I, uh, in my house, we, uh, we, so, I mean, with our dogs, they burn energy. And in order to, to, to burn that energy, they usually like to chew or I try to refocus their energy level into chewing on something where, I mean, they get to roam the house and that's probably a big no, no also. And then, you know, our dog, Happy, has gotten a hold of three pairs of my shoes now. And, oh right. But, yeah, you know. You, Hopefully but, they're not Air Jordans. No. No. They were a couple of nice pairs. I ain't going to lie. I was a little hot about oh, it. But, uh, but no, it's, it's, you know, but then you, how, do you, how do you tell the dog, you don't chew on that, but chew on this. And, and, okay, the shoe is not a good thing, but this is okay. And it, so I think you get into that whole uh, world where I think when Brad's talking about it, it's pretty cut and dry. You, you're here, you stay here, and then you don't you don't chew and you don't create those habits. So yeah, there's you know the the way I do it, and don't get me wrong, ninety percent of my customers would be on your side on this. Right, right. So um, yeah. well, it's, but, it, it it takes time, it takes effort, yeah, it, ta it, you it, know, it, it takes does. discipline. When, so when you come home from work and you sit on that couch, you don't want to um, discipline the dog or make him do this. Right. You know the dogs that we. Ha we have a rule in our house, we only have one at a time, but all the dogs that I've always had in my house, you know, that dog, he's outside with you when you're outside, when you come in, he's got a couple places he can go and that's it. He can lay on this place board by the fireplace or in his kennel, or, you know, if, if you have another spot, like in the mud room, if he's dirty and, you know, his free time is outside as far as just roaming the house and being, um, like that, uh, in my opinion, that we don't do that. Now, outside, he can go and play and do as he pleases. But inside, he's got his place to warm up by the fireplace, get in his crate and go to bed, or in the mudroom because he's dirty. And um, But, like I said, 90% of my customers, they, uh, the, the, their pets, they come in, they do whatever they want to. They're, a lot of them are laying in the bed with them. But I, the chew toy, I mean, it's, it's, it's not that big, um, yay or nay. 
for me. I mean, 90% of our competition dogs chew and have chew toys. The only thing you have to be careful, this is, this is a big accident that I see a lot. People let them chew, and then they let them chew something with cloth, maybe like their bed. Right. And um, what a lot of people don't realize, when you see a dog chewing cloth, get it from them immediately. Chewing cloth, and that twine gets wrapped in their intestines, and it will kill them faster than anything. And I get those sad stories all the time. Hey, old blue Brad, he was only three years old, and he died last night. What in the world? Well, he chewed up his bed. We saw him chew up at the bed. We took it from him, but we didn't think nothing of it. Well, the twine got entangled in his intestines and ended up killing him. So be careful with the chewing. If if you do let them chew, it's a toy maybe inside their crate. And that's it. Shifting gears a little bit to the hunt scene and the, and the performance dogs, what is the definition, Brad, of a blind retrieve? blind retrieve would be a bird that they do not see the dog doesn't see down and the handler has to direct them with whistle to make them turn and watch the handler and the handler gives hand signals um there can be three-handed casting which is most of our gun dogs that means right left and straight back and then eight-handed casting mean right hand straight back right hand um, back and angled right hand over and right hand in and the same four on the left side and you direct the dog with a whistle in those casts to recover your game. So you're directing a dog to look at you from what distances? Can it, how far away can a dog be and see? Well, first of all, how far, how far do these dog whistles work? I mean, I know a dog can hear a whistle a lot longer than we can, but can this, is this like a, a half a mile deal? Is this a, a four or 500 yard deal? Or, Brett, um, you can touch on it too. I'm just, uh, what I saw Axel do today blew my mind. Like, and I saw Rufus do it before and I've seen Mo do it. Is it, does it, can they get too far away or where's your confidence level at in a blind retrieve? The only thing that kind of stops us from going as, you know, farther than this is probably six, seven, 800 yards. They, they can't really see the handler. Um, it's, so it's sight. It's not hearing. They can hear that whistle for a ways. Um, that's what if they get lost in the woods on a crippled, we can toot them out and we let them get pretty deep on us and because we know we can toot them out with the whistle. But when they turn and watch us for the hand signals, uh, about six, seven, eight hundred yards, especially if you're if you're hunting in camo, it's probably I would go back to about four hundred yards. But even if you're dressed properly, you have a white jacket that you can throw on when you're handling to handle the dog probably six, seven, eight hundred yards as far as they can see you to take those casts properly. Um, yeah, I've seen a lot of times these, you know, the handlers will have trouble if they're blowing into the wind, the whistle all of a sudden, the dog can't hear that whistle very well because the wind's going and it, it just doesn't carry as far. So they'll have trouble handling further out. Like today, you know, it's kind of windy out there and it, it could be kind of tough if it was being handled, handled maybe off to the right or something like that, or, or if we were facing into the wind, but, uh, so the definition of a blind retrieve is a group of ducks come in. They settle down in the pocket. A couple of them get harvested right there in the hole, and they fall where the dog's visual is. The guy, a guy on the far left of the blind might have had one trying to get out over here on the left. He, he shoots at that duck and harvests it, and it falls over here, but the dog's still looking here. He might not necessarily saw that duck fall. Now you're in a blind retrieve situation. Mm-hmm. Now here, here's where it really gets tricky. Um, it's called a poison bird retrieve. So the the duck to the left that you described is crippled. So we have to go and recover him before he gets away. You know, our dogs are our conservation tools. We want to recover all our game. So we have to know the dog off of the three or four that fell in the on, on the X. We have to know him off of that and run him on a blind to that to that crippled. That is usually the cripples are, are deeper than the ones that fall in the fall in the pocket for us. So when you do that, that's called a poison bird. You know him off and then run that blind on that one. And that, that makes it really tough. That, that's a more advanced dog that can know off of these that he saw splash within 20 yards of him and run on that blind. So now you've mixed in a visual. What's the bird in the hole that's down called? A mark. That's a mark. Mm-hmm. Then you have a blind. Mm-hmm. And then you have a poison blind. Mm-hmm. It, the, the the blind is still a poison. He's just crippled. The reason you call it a poison bird blind is because the the live the marks that he saw 
are right there in front of his face and he hasn't picked them up. Now, if you pick up the marks first, and so you get the two or three that you killed right there in front of you and then come back, it would just be no different than a blind. But if that blind is crippled, you better get him faster. You, you know good as anybody that that bird's getting away. So now that that dog is casted on the poison bird first because his memory serves him that, hey, I know they're here, mm-hmm. but you know that they're, he doesn't know that they're dead. Right. He just knows that they're down. That's right. And that his job is to go get them. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you cast him with by how now? How do you get him lined up on that poison? You know, it, it depends on how you're hunting. If you can step out of the blind and actually line the dog up, you would line him up from your um, side and tell the dog, we're not going to those, we're going deep left. And um, he, he should take your line like a rifle out pretty good ways until he starts varying each each way, and then we start handling. But if you're in, a say, a pit blind, and he's sitting 20 yards away from you, you actually s- send him on the word back, and then when he gets in there, you start casting. And that would that would be a pretty pretty trained dog to do that. If that poison bird is, is out there a little bit, or we talked about one of these long-distance retrieve like Brett mentioned before, is there an inflection in your voice, Brad, as the handler? When you send Axel or another dog on a, on a longer retrieve, is there a different inflection in your voice that that dog goes, oh, this means that I got to go? If he's closer, do you just kind of whisper, Axel? And then if he's back there, that's when you hear that big southern southern draw, Axel. Axel! I mean, is, that, is the inflection in your voice telling me that that bird's further away? Definitely, definitely. Body languages and um, inflection in your voice, inflection in your um, whistle, actually. Um, you know, how, how hard I blow it and um, if I blow it soft, you know, means means either you're doing it right or you're doing it wrong or, hey, I'm talking to you, you better listen up. I've always wondered that because sometimes you're obnoxious and then other times you're real calm. <laughs> and, uh, one time, Brett, we were in Iowa and um, it was one of those days to where I'm like, there's, there's it's, it's, uh, it's done, right? It's over. And you you kind of get that that instinct if you do it enough to where man it's just not it's a south wind it's warming up with the south air coming up and he's just gung-ho he's from georgia he he he, he just he jump shoots wood ducks a bunch it doesn't get in on these doesn't get on these mallard shoots and i'm talking like brad's head is a like a dog he's just watching the sky the whole day from the blind we got a pretty cool blind there on that farm and and he's just watching it and i mean he could spot migrators up there. He's got like a the mo, like an eagle eye, and he'd be like, "Chat, chat, 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 migrators, migrators, migrators." But in that funny voice, right, migrators, right, right, migrators, right. and I'm just like jumping around, scared out of my mind every time he said. And sure enough, you would hear. And if you know that sound in duck hunting, that means that the migration's on, and it literally sounds like a jet plane coming down, like, and they're losing air, and all of a sudden we got sixty mallards. And three widgeon on that one flock, like these three death. Wow. But anyway, it's we have like sixty mallards on us all of a sudden, right? And they come in. It's on a south wind, and they're migrating out of the north. And I'm like, this is weird. Weird. And it was, and we finished them right in the pocket, and just I'll never forget it. It, yeah. was it was pretty cool. And then after that, I'm like, it's got to be over. It has to be over now. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was just an act of the duck right. gods. We must have been living right for a week or something. <laughs> and and uh, sure enough, I'm getting literally like the words are about to come out of my mouth. Like, hey, guys, let's unload the guns and pack. Cha, cha, cha. Migrator, migrator. Starts doing that southern alley. I mean, jumping up and down. And sure enough, and they do it again. Same size flock. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. We finished another 50 or 60 mallards right in the pocket. And uh, pretty much we're, we're shot out by then. But it was one of those things to where, like, it's like his optimistic attitude was counterbalancing my, not really negativity, but a little bit of pessimism in there. Like, hey, guys, we can get some work done now. I get it. Which, you know, not all hunts pay off. And with the south wind and blue and sunshine, we finished two large, large, healthy groups of mallards in the pocket, and the dogs got to go to work. Good day. Good I mean, day. It was, it was uh, Iowa. That part of Iowa can be special. What's been your most favorite hunt, Brad, that we've shared together? We've, we've hunted Arkansas. Iowa, South Dakota, North Dakota, North Dakota, Jordan Sargent's pretty special place. Um, what's What's been your favorite? Oh, we've hunted Louisiana together at Honey Break. Can you pick one off the top of your head that is your all-time favorite with me? I would say, um, you know, they're all special, always fun to, to be out with the foul life and you. But um, I tell you, that 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 um, hunt in North Dakota was, was a little crazy. We, we went out there. It was an evening hunt, and we were in the um, – in the cornfields and it was it was i mean just tornadoes and tornadoes of ducks and geese like like i've never seen never i've 
of course, that's why I'm in this. I've duck hunted my whole life. And to, to watch those tornadoes of mallards and just keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. We were picking up decoys and they would not stop. I mean, it, it, it was awesome. I remember. But, you know, I just wanted to make sure that we all got to sit down and do this for a few minutes and, and the logistics and the itinerary that Courtney has planned out for Brett. We're going to cut this short, and I really wanted to get into some more stuff because I love hearing that southern twang. Migrators! <laughs> Migrators! <laughs> I'm glad we're buddies. Here! Here! Right? right. Here! He um, would be rough if we are in him. Brad, Brad Arrington, you are the man. Mossy Pond guys, check him out on Instagram, at Team MPR. Team MPR, Brad Arrington and Lee and the entire crew, Elena and everybody down in Georgia. They're special to us. They're family to us. We're very humbled to have a partnership now with Yukonuba, Yukonuba Sporting Dog. I want to say thanks to Courtney and Jess and Brett and everybody that's within the Yukonuba family and, and how this has all came into fruition. And to, to be able to know that Brad and I and the teams get to do it together now is even that more special. So to you, Brad, I say thank you and congratulations on your deal with Yukonuba. You deserve it because you are the best and i think that it's awesome that you get to go and fly this flag and represent and to see your hard work and commitment and sacrifice dedication paying off brett i'm glad that you got to uh come up here for i think it's been about eight hours since you yeah, landed right, we got right. to enjoy a dinner together and yeah. a good day um i do want to get out in the field on a hunt yeah, i want to uh, show you a little bit more about what we do here but thank you for the partnership i'm humbled to be a part of the yukonuba family uh, guys, thank you so much for the support of This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast, season 10 of The Foul Life right now. We're in Argentina this week on the Outdoor Channel, part two of the Full Monty, Argentina Duck Hunting Adventures. We're with a great black lab down there as well. Check out the action this week. New Foul Life merchandise on our online store. Please support all of the partners and sponsors that support us. And thank you, Benelli, for being our title sponsor for the seventh year in a row. We couldn't be more humbled to have you aboard. Chad Belding, This Life Ain't For Everybody. For Brad Arrington with Mossy Pond retrievers and mr brett volmer with yukonuba sporting dog thank you very much this life ain't for everybody we'll be out mr tom rachishin please play that song by our great friend leith lofton what you gonna do when the money's all gone Say life on earth won't last that long what you gonna do when the money's all gone